This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. As we stand, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us this morning, and I pray that you would once again illuminate it by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The first time I met Andrea's family, or at least some of them, we went out for dinner. And the evening was low-key, it was very informal, it was very friendly, and we played some kind of fun games around the table. And one of Andrea's brothers, she has three, one of them introduced one of these uh, games with a seemingly very benign question. If you could be an animal, what animal would you be? However, what Andrea failed to tell me until afterwards is that her brother Greg is a former Air Force military intelligence officer. And I still don't know to this day what secrets about myself I unwittingly revealed simply by saying that I'd, if I were an animal, I'd be a golden Labrador. But I wonder, what animal would you choose for yourself if you wanted to have, say, a family crest made or, or a shield made? For something like that, I think rather than a golden lab, I might choose a lion. A lion conjures, conjures up images of strength and boldness. And besides, the ancient royal coat of arms of England has three lions on it. And still today, the English soccer team have three lions on their jerseys. And a lion is biblical, the Lion of Judah. And for fans of, of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, of course, Aslan the Great Lion is the Christ figure. When Jesus gathered his disciples together to send them out on a great mission, one might have expected him to send them out like lions or tigers or leopards. But what he actually says to them is, see, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. If ever there were a symbol of vulnerability, surely this is it, sheep among wolves. And Jesus continues without sugarcoating their mission. He warns them that as they go out to spread the good news of Jesus, they can expect fierce opposition and persecution from the state, from the religious authorities, and even from members of their own family. The gospel of Jesus is never bland. Indeed, it is highly political. It always has been. And by that, I don't mean party political in the modern sense of politics, but political in the sense that it concerns the kingdom of God, a kingdom that permits no rivals. And so we as Christians are citizens first and foremost, not of the United States of America or from whatever country you may be from, but rather of the kingdom of God. We have a king who is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And so Jesus counsels his disciples to be wise or shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. 
That's not easy. Tom Wright says of this verse, Christians often find it easy to be one or the other, but seldom both. Without innocence, shrewdness becomes manipulative. Without shrewdness, innocence becomes naivety. Trouble, opposition, and betrayal were the experiences of Jesus. And as he tells us, we are not above our teacher. And so we can expect to face similar experiences. You know, Jesus was even called the devil. Success, as we so often measure it, should not be the criterion for faithful discipleship. Rather, we need to understand success as the ability to be like Jesus. If we follow Jesus's example as, as, uh, so that we are people who proclaim truth and love, it's almost guaranteed that we'll face opposition. Why? I think it's kind of obvious because we live and in some ways, there's nothing new about this, except it feels very heightened at the moment. But we live in a society that is massively polarized, where truth itself is marginalized, and love is so often shouted down by hate. The gospel is the good news that God the Father sent God the Son to die for the sins of the world in order that all who believe and turn to him may receive forgiveness and reconciliation and new life in the Holy Spirit. But sadly and tragically, it is not received as such good news by so many. When Christians stand up and speak out for justice, when we proclaim the sanctity of life for black lives, for the lives of the unborn, and when we speak out and declare that people of every race and tribe and nation are made in the image of God, which includes the poor, the refugee, the brokenhearted, we stand with Jesus himself. In his first sermon in the synagogue in Nazareth, Jesus read from the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But in that first sermon, when Jesus went on to point out some uncomfortable truths from their past, including that God had favored a foreign widow not from their tribe and had healed a foreign army commander. The people were filled with rage. They didn't want to hear that challenge to their comfortable worldview that they and they alone were supreme in God's eyes. So they turned on Jesus and they literally drove him out of the temple, synagogue, and they drove him to the hilltop outside Nazareth and they, they wanted to kill him. Now, I know that when a minute ago I included the lives of the unborn alongside black lives and lives of all those who are victims of racism and injustice, 
I understand that in doing so, I am now walking in a religious and political minefield. But as we listen to the words of Jesus this morning, sending us out as sheep among wolves and telling us that we need to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves, I think somehow we have to learn not to let the things and the people that matter so much to God, far more than a couple of sparrows that he notices, we cannot let people and issues like this be hijacked as political issues by the left or by the right. These issues, honestly, they're not matters for right or left. They're matters of right or wrong. And as Christians, we have to be able to take our stand with great humility. And it's difficult. And so I'm not shying away from it. And I'm not going to talk about politics every week in the pulpit. But we can't just ignore it and just kind of put our blinkers on either. And I know that these things are complex. And they're nuanced. I know that we have faithful, committed Christians in our congregation who represent many different shades of political thinking. And I thank God for that. I truly do. What unites us as members and friends in this congregation is not our social background. It's, it's not our financial status. It's not our political affiliations or the color of our skin. What unites us, what unites us is that we, all of us, are sinners. Sinners who come to the foot of the cross to receive God's mercy. So, when it comes to matters literally of life and death, of justice and injustice, of division between blacks and whites, we must stand firm as followers of Jesus who are sent out on mission. We must not be quiet in the face of those things that grieve God's heart. As St. Paul reminds us, in Christ there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. The gospel is controversial and political and uncomfortable in part because of its inclusivity. The Bible does not tell us that Jesus came to the world for religious people or nice people or respectable people or for people who are woke or progressive or conservative. No, he came for sinners. And as St. Paul reminds us, all underlined, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And again, in, in uh, Romans 5.8, Paul writes, God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves the black girl as much as the white girl, the gay person as much as the straight person. And that statement shouldn't be incendiary in any church, in any country, anywhere. And yet it is. Jesus himself said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. 
So the gospel is controversial because it's so inclusive, but let me tell you this. It's also controversial and political and uncomfortable because of its exclusivity. There is only one way to be saved. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me, says Jesus. Theologically, pastorally, and socially, the gospel is powerful. It is the greatest good news the world has ever known. Jesus is the answer to the past, present, and future problems. He is our hope. He is the hope of the nations. The answer to injustice and racism and sickness has never been at the ballot box. The Democrats cannot save us. The Republicans cannot save us. No political party or ideology can save us. We proclaim Jesus as Lord, Jesus as King, Jesus as our only hope and Savior. Not a president or a presidential candidate, not a party or a philosophy, but Jesus. No wonder Jesus warns us to expect opposition and pushback and hostility. This is why we so desperately need to hear Christ's words to us from the scriptures this morning, to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. For you and I are being sent out by our Lord as sheep among wolves. So somehow, in these highly charged days in which we live, in an election year, and where there's so much uncertainty and frustration and a continuing pandemic, we need to be humble. We need to hear again the words of St. James, who tells us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce righteousness. I, I don't know how many times I have to say this, but when I read people from people I know and love, when I read them flaming on social media, it breaks my heart. When we, when we denigrate others whom Jesus died for, we have got to find a better way of having difficult conversations. Yes, of course, but let's do it in that attitude of being as harmless as doves. Now, of course, anger can produce righteousness. Jesus got angry. He turned over the tables of the money changers in the temple because those in authority were perpetuating injustice and preventing people from coming to pray. But oh, how careful we need to be. How easily we get on our high horses. God calls all to repentance. I don't know what he's calling you to repent of today. Some may need to repent from arrogance, from self-righteousness, from thinking of ourselves as better than others, from sexual practices that are not in accordance with Christ's teaching about marriage, from speaking disparaging words against our neighbors. We may need to repent from putting our trust in politics or politicians above our trust in King Jesus. There is no place for self-confidence and arrogance 
only an appeal to God's grace and mercy that we might say with the tax collector in that parable that Jesus told, have mercy on me, a sinner. But one thing we can know, and that which we're reminded of in our scriptures today, is that when we're afraid, when we don't know what to say, when we're beside ourselves with grief or anger, or a sense of hopelessness, we need not fear those who come against us for proclaiming God's love and truth. And, and while the ex exhortation not to be afraid is very, very common in the scriptures, it's the, I think it's the command that is the most repeated all the way through the Bible. Angels say it every time they show up because they're absolutely terrifying figures. And Jesus says it a lot of times to his disciples, but here, Jesus has some remarkable things to say about fear. He doesn't say that there's nothing to be afraid of. But the reasons why we need not fear may seem a little odd. And the one whom we should, and the one whom we should fear is actually shocking. So why not fear? Jesus says, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered. Nothing is secret that will not become known. Now, in some ways, having everything laid bare and into the light is a bit scary. But in terms of those that are coming against us, this is a good thing. Though, though the opponents of Christianity may succeed today and lies may prevail for a season, in the fullness of time, the light will shine for everyone to see. The truth will be known. Justice and righteousness will prevail, and the light will triumph over the darkness. And though people may see us now as being stubborn or even arrogant in our proclamation that Jesus is the only way to God, you remember the exclusivistic nature of the gospel, or upon our insistence that the clear moral teachings of the Bible still apply, and that we're called to live a life of radical love and radical truth, eventually, if we are faithful to that, we will be vindicated. But then Jesus says something rather strange. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. Here's an exception to the do not fear message. There is one whom we should fear. Who is that? Who is that? Well, ultimately, we are to fear God. Not in the sense of cowering before a ruthless or unscrupulous tyrant, of course not, but in humility and in recognition of our own uncleanness before him. The psalmist writes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Oswald Chambers writes, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. The scriptures, interestingly, never tell us to fear Satan. Now, of course, we should be on our guard against his attacks, but we need not live in fear. Rather, we take our fears to God himself before whom even demons tremble. What was it we sang earlier? Um, in our um, one little word shall fell him. 
that great uh, Martin Luther hymn. And the great thing is that while we should have a healthy dose of fear before the one true almighty creator God, that is a fear that inspires awe and love and down on our faces worship. For this same God, Jesus is quick to remind us, is the God who cares about two sparrows being sold for a penny. A God who knows how many hairs are on our heads. And amazingly, this great, almighty, powerful, awesome God is not so caught up in the grand things of the creation or the universe or anything else that he isn't bothered about little us. He, he is. He has time for us, for the things that concern us and bother us, the things that make us afraid of other people, or the seemingly trivial and mundane. God cares. He's the ultimate father. Of course he cares. I mean, if you've got a three-year-old kid and you're a dad and your kid wants to come to you to, to pour out his soul because the Lego piece is missing, you, you're going to listen and you'll scoop him up and you'll, you'll find a workaround. Well, how much more does our Father in heaven who knows the fate of every sparrow care about us? And so next time that you find yourself trembling with fear at work or school or home, remember that Jesus is with you. He knows you, he loves you, he understands you. And yes, your situation may be very, very hard, but you are not forgotten. You are not abandoned. Not for one moment. Don't ever think that God does not know what you are going through. He knows how many hairs you have on your head. And alongside this word, not to be afraid, Jesus then adds the instruction that we should speak up. You know, sometimes we become paralyzed by the fear of what other people may think of us. So we're tempted to water down what we believe so as not to cause any offense. But here, Jesus is encouraging us not to be silent. For one day, every opponent of, of God will be silenced, and all people will know that there is a God, and that all people are ultimately accountable to him. Everyone, Jesus says, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Jesus calls us expects us, demands of us that we stand up for him, to own him, to be unashamed of the gospel. Being a disciple of Jesus, being a Christian, is about more than being known as, as we Brits might say, as a nice chap or a decent bloke. Well, anyone can do that, bully for them. Our witness is not merely to a church or a denomination or a spiritual life. We are to confess Jesus as Lord. Jesus was not crucified for being nice. He was not crucified for claiming to be a good man or a wise prophet. He was crucified, at least in part, because he massively, unswervingly challenged the religious establishment 
and for being absolutely truthful and totally loving. He often hung out with the wrong people, and he was utterly focused on doing and being that which God had called him to do and to be. He was also crucified on charges of blasphemy. He said he was God. I think that we have more opportunities to stand up for Jesus than we may realize. And this present time actually is an opportunity for us to stand up for Jesus afresh. And every day, the choices that we make either affirm Jesus as Lord of our lives or deny Jesus as King. And this is true in so many areas. It's true in the practice of our sexual ethics. It's true in how we use our money, how we speak about other people, our attitudes towards people who are different from us, and in how we speak about God. Brothers and sisters, let me finish with this. Whether you think of yourself as a friendly Labrador retriever, a timid kitten, or a mighty lion, know this. If you are a Christian, you are being sent out like sheep among wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Let us pray. Lord, in the midst of all that is chaotic, all that is uncertain, all that is hurtful, help us to remember that you are our shepherd. Help us not to fear those who may harm us, but to put all our trust in you, our gracious, loving, powerful, heavenly Father. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, that we may go out boldly this week as sheep among wolves. Give us your wisdom and help us to be as innocent as doves and humble in all that we do and think and say. In Jesus' name, amen.